You are listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Can we thank our band for leading us? Um, I'm encouraged by you being here today as well. I know with the rain, there is every reason uh, for you to stay home. And, uh, and I'm so, so encouraged, and I mean that genuinely. Um, I, I think uh, that there are various reasons in which we'll just uh, kind of move in your mind for a second. Um, that would cause you to stay home and say, this would be a good day for me um, to excuse myself from meeting with, with my church. And the Lord uses days like this, I think, in a special way, uh, because it, it's a day in which we can kind of um, uh, really focus in. There's something about uh, the nature of this weather, I think, that calms our spirits a little bit and allows us to just hear. And so my prayer today is that you would. Um, we don't do this a lot, um, but what I would like to do is I would like you to just take a brief moment um, alone with the Lord. And, and I don't know where you're at coming in today. I don't know where, where your heart is and uh, where the Lord has you or, or maybe what's going on in the, in the, um, on the outskirts uh, of your life um, when you leave here, what you're going back into. But what I do know for sure is that the most important thing that you can have currently is, is God's voice in your life. And so no matter what is going on, the most important thing, once again, that can happen this morning in this time now is for God to speak to you through his word. That's, there's no question about that. And so what I would love for you to do is just pray. Ask God, God, clear my heart. Um, God, remove any distractions. God, calm my spirit. Let me just hear from your words today so that I'd be encouraged, um, that I would think a different way, that I would think about you rightly, and I would be changed uh, by your word. So would you just take a moment in your seats by yourself and ask God to speak to you today as we hear his word. Father God, we come before you this morning and we are ready to hear from you. God, thank you for preparing our hearts, preparing the soil of our hearts to receive your word. God, I pray that we would be in a place today um, that receives it, that the soil would be soft and that um, all of the seeds in which you seek um, to plant in our life, particularly the gospel, would be um, sowed and uh, would dig deep and, and produce roots and fruit in our lives, that we would glorify you and be satisfied in you all the days of our lives on into eternity. God, we love you. We're captivated by you. We're amazed at how great of a God you are. And we understand, God, that you have written your word very specifically so that we can understand what your intention was as you wrote it, as the authors wrote it, God, and that when we hear, when we have understanding, we gain insight and wisdom, and we love you more and we're changed by it. God, I pray that you would protect us um, from seeking any form of pragmatism that would just uh, weigh out or outweigh um, your truth. We, we want to think grandiose about you. We want to understand you and the depths of your heart and your kindness and your riches and this gospel of grace. We want to think big, God. We want to see how wonderful you are, and we want to understand your gospel rightly, that you sent your son Jesus on our behalf to die, that we would not just have a good life, but that we'd be in relationship with you, that we would be yours for all of eternity. We'd gaze upon your countenance, your face forever, and we'd be satisfied in you with eternal joy. And God, I pray that we would realize that today, but God, that it would play itself out in a life of love, that we would love each other, that we would go forth on mission, and we'd be changed by, by your gospel. God, we love you so much, and we want to hear from you. We pray that you would do this spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Uh, Luke chapter 3 is, is where we're at uh, this morning in, in the Bible. 
Um, we've been walking through the book of Luke. And uh, if you've been with us for this time, what you'll realize is that this stuff has been pretty deep. It's been pretty in-depth. If this is your first time, um, you might choke today a little bit on like uh, uh, the amount of Bible and information that we're going to present. And what I want to tell you is that's okay. Like you got to start somewhere, okay? It's okay if it's overwhelming. I don't understand what Sam's saying. Um, where is he going with this? I, I got to come back again next week to kind of continue to build my repertoire of understanding for God's word and the scriptures, that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. Keep going forward. I will tell you this has been incredibly deep because particularly the God of the universe is deep. I mean, you can't kind of just skim off the top of God's word and understand everything fully because his heart, his, the riches of his wisdom is deep. And so there is so much meaning packed in this book um, that has been very, very uh, maybe difficult for me. I hope enjoyable for you, um, enlightening for you to uncover. Um, one, you know, one of the things that uh, maybe we didn't expect when we embarked on um, walking through the book of Luke is how much specific detail there was going to be in this book, right? Like, it's like, uh, shouldn't we have expected this from the doctor, right? Uh, the, the doctor wrote this book, okay? All the, other, um, all the other ones who wrote the other gospels, okay, they maybe uh, were busy doing some work with their hands while Luke was the, the one passing the biology classes, okay? And so all the specific details are in this book, are in this text, and uh, Luke is not leaving many details out. If you flip back in your Bible, which I hope you have one, because um, we're going to refer to it often. I like to say I would rather you keep your eyes in the text than put your eyes on me. Okay, so but if you flip back to Luke chapter 1, do that with me for just a second. Um, just a couple pages. And you see in the very beginning, it seems like ages ago that we walked through this. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, um, Luke writes, "...in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things." that have been accomplished among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good for me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And so what Luke is saying here is, listen, now it's my turn, okay? I'm going to compile all of this information about Jesus and what he did here on earth and who he is, and I'm going to put an orderly account together so that you may understand some things about him. You might know the truth. The purpose is found in the very next verse. It says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So that's the purpose of his writing, that people might be certain. This is Jesus. This is what he did. This is the significance of his work and his personhood, and that we might believe in him. Okay, so once again, this doctor is writing, and he's leaving no details out, okay? So let me tell you where we've been so far, okay? Um, before we get into kind of just where we're at in this specific text, let me bring you back all the way, okay? So... We're talking about today the inauguration of the gospel of grace. This is part three of this. I, like, I, I got to tell you, like, I didn't intend to take three portions um, to, to divide this particular section up, um, but there's just so much here, it would just be impossible um, to do it otherwise, okay? And so what's happening in the very text that we're in, in chapter three, is John is now bringing in this gospel of grace, okay? This gospel of grace is now hitting the scene, and I'm going to explain that to you. Okay, so listen. So what we've seen thus far is the baby and the boyhood narratives. Okay, and they're long narratives. You're like, okay, we've taken a long time just to get through the, the baby scene and the boy scene. Okay, like this is taking forever. And what's happened is we've watched God come on and, and speak to a specific people, mainly Elizabeth and who? Zechariah, about their son who is going to come and prepare a way. You guys remember this? So they're, they're believing God, they're, they're old in age. God makes this promise that John, the cousin of Jesus, is going to come and prepare this way. They believe it, right? We've also seen um, the, the angel come to Mary, okay, and tell her, Mary, you're going to have a child, right? And this child is going to be the son of the Most High, right? He's going to prepare a way. Um, John's going to prepare a way, and then Jesus is going to come on the scene. 
seen, and he's going to be the way, right? John's preparing the way. Here comes Jesus. He is the way. And so this is all going to happen to save the people from their sin. Now, when we hear this, we're like, oh, yeah, this is the story. This is what's coming up. This is how it's happening. We watch Jesus in the boyhood narratives. But I got to tell you, the Jewish people, the, the, the people of Israel, they didn't know what was really happening at this point. They were still in expectation. They were in hopes that the Messiah would come, but they're not realizing that now is the specific time. This is it. This is, this is the time that the Messiah is coming. They're wondering, is this the case? Is this the scene, right? They're in expectation. And I will tell you that a lot of Jewish people still uh, at this day, unless they're Messianic Jews, would believe that the Messiah is still coming. Right? And, and we want to pray and, and attempt to reach uh, them as well. But why don't they know that Jesus is on the scene if we ourselves are seeing it? Well, it's because of the way that God did this. God did this in a very hidden way in which covered what we would expect to come from a king from heaven coming to earth. It's hidden. He's running. He's hiding. Uh, Jesus is being kept covered up. Uh, he's going to be kept covered up until right after this scene we're about to read today to where next week he now comes, the ministry starting, and it's go time. It's about to spread to the ends of the earth, right? Right now it's hidden, and you wouldn't expect this. You would expect the king from heaven coming to earth in such a way that would make much of his coming. And he's being kept hidden. So listen, although we see it, although we try to understand this, they didn't. They're wondering, is this Messiah here yet? Where is he at? And so they don't know that he's on the scene yet until, listen, chapter 3. John the Baptist is now being brought onto the scene to prepare the way. He's preparing the way. And by the way, I'll tell you, listen. In the way in which God brought Jesus onto the scene, I think brings a lot of hope for us, and it's very relevant. Because, listen, God brought Jesus onto the scene in such a way that was almost invisible. It was hidden, and it was so humble, and Jesus was brought about like a servant. And I'll tell you for you, if you're maybe feeling like in your life right now that you're just, you're invisible the world doesn't see you, you're kind of just, everyone's kind of looking through you, you're, you're hidden, you're unimportant in the eyes of the world, I'll tell you, take great hope. Because this is the way that God chose to save the world. Take great hope. And so John is coming on the scene now, listen, and, and you got to listen over the raindrops, I know, like this roof is not conducive for rain, okay? Um, luckily, we don't get a lot of rain in Louisiana, so, so it doesn't happen too often. <laughs> So what's happening is John is preparing this way. He's preparing the hearts, okay? Why does this need to happen? Listen, because the, the soil of the hearts of the Jewish people needs to be ready to receive this new news. This is new news. This is the gospel of grace. They have not heard this before. They don't understand what this is going to look like and how it's going to play itself out. So their hearts need to be ready. Listen, their hearts are believing this. If we keep the law, if we live righteously, if we do the works of God, we will be made right in addition to us being descendants of Abraham. In addition to that, our works of the law will earn us this right standing before God, and we will be made right because of our righteous deeds. And what John needs to do is prepare the house, clean the way, uh, turn the soil over so they realize, no, 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 wait, we're sinners, and we need the gospel. We need to be saved. This coming Messiah is going to be for us so that we can trust in him. That's why this message is so harsh. It's a harsh message. Like you read this, and he's saying brood of vipers. He's telling them rocks. They're equivalent to rocks, basically. Um, in some ways, God can raise up rocks as, um, from, the, from uh, Abraham. And, and so they're being torn down. Why? In order to, to come to a place of of their, their heart being conditioned to receive this gospel of grace. And listen, this is what I'll tell you. The same needs to be true for us. Listen, if you ever, if, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody in your life? Like you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them, and there's just like this, 
this veil that's just over the, their minds and their hearts and their eyes. They just, they're not understanding. They're not seeing clearly, right? I, I know Jesus, he came. Yeah, yeah, I know that story, but I don't know why it needs to be like all encompassing. I don't know why I need to sell out for this, right? What does that look like? Why, why is that so important? Why is it so polarizing in your life? And I think that if, if you could go to one place in a loving way with those people, it should be to their sin. It should be to the reality of their sin. Because once people understand the truth about their heart, the sinful nature that they have, that it's not just like, oh, I do bad things sometimes, but you're looking at a holy God who is perfect, who is set apart in every category, created the world, is set apart, set apart, set apart, right? And then you're looking at yourself and saying, in comparison to this God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, I fall short. And when someone sees that, they run to a savior. You don't go to the doctor unless you're what? You don't go to the mechanic unless you need your car fixed. You don't go to a savior unless you believe you need saving. And so this people here don't believe that they need saving. They just don't believe it. They believe they're righteous in their own works. And John is coming to say, all right, I'm going to smash up the ground of your heart. I'm going to stir it up so that it's ready to receive this word so that when Jesus does come onto the scene, you realize, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Here's the Messiah. I'm taking him. I'm with him for sure because I need salvation, right? That's what John is doing here currently. And I'll tell you that that's what happens. Doing the hard work of repentance makes for easy belief. If, if you realize you're a sinner and you embrace that, that's hard work, that's tough, that's, that's, um, what, what, it can be discouraging maybe sometimes, but if you'll embrace that and understand I need to repent, I need belief in the Savior, belief is easy because you just cling to the Savior. That's what John's doing. So now that's what's happening. Jesus is about to be on the scene. And so with all that as the backdrop, here's what I'll tell you. I think your hearts need to be prepared just as much. So do mine. And John is doing this work, that we would have prepared hearts to see his word. Have you ever been in a place where the soil of your heart just feels rocky? It's like, even if you were to preach the true word of God to me right now, it would just bounce off. It wouldn't take root. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on in my heart. What do you need? You need God to do something miraculous to stir your heart, to be ready to receive the word. And so although John's message is tough, listen, this is an act of grace by God. It would be an act of grace for him to come into your life right now and to stir your heart so that you could be ready to receive his word when you can't figure out why your heart is so, is so hard. That would be an act of his grace, and that's what God's doing here. So let me take you through specifically this particular um, section um, with all that as the backdrop, and then we're going to move into our uh, focus. We don't usually do this much um, catching up, uh, but once again, this is our third portion in this text, um, and so I've got to just catch you up to speed in order for us to be there. So specifically, when we get to chapter 3, and John is ushering in this gospel of grace, this new gospel, right, what it's going to look like, um, this is what we've talked about in chapter 3 so far. First, we've seen the great scope. We've seen the great scope of the gospel of grace. The great scope, meaning this, okay? That this gospel that's now being brought in by John is going to go to the ends of the earth. It, it, there's not going to be any, like, it's not going to be contained at, at all. It's going to be let loose. How do we see that? Well, in the first couple verses, Luke spends some some specific time telling us about some rulers, about the Roman ruler, about the Palestinian leaders, about the great high priests, um, great that, that are here right now, not the great high priest, but in their minds, the high priests were of great standing, right? And so this is who, who he's telling us about in the beginning. Why? Because listen, it doesn't matter who the rulers are at this time. It doesn't matter who the leaders are at this time. 
It doesn't matter who's in charge of Rome or who's in charge of Palestine, the people of Israel. The most important thing that's happening at this point in history is this man out in the desert dressed in camel's hair. Okay, this is John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey coming out to prepare a way for the Savior. And it doesn't matter. Rome was seen as the end of the earth. This gospel of grace that is now being brought in by this king is going to permeate every leadership. It's going to go beyond Rome. It's going to go to the ends of the earth, and it is more significant than any powerhouse of leadership that's happening in the world at this time. This is the great scope, and here's why it's so important, lest you think this is irrelevant to you. Listen, if you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are part of God's great plan for him to save the world through his son Jesus, this gospel of grace. There is no leadership, there is no authority, there is no government, there is no anything that is more important or significant or powerful than this gospel of grace. You're on the right team. You're on the right side. There is nothing more important than this gospel. This is what Luke is showing us in these first couple of verses. The second thing that we see in this passage is the great source of the gospel of grace. So what we've seen in chapter 3 is beyond the, the scope, it's the source. So the word of God comes to John the Baptist while he's in the desert. What John didn't do is decide on his own accord, I am going to bring this message. Because who, who tells John? God. He says, hey, John, it's time. I know you're comfortable out here eating uh, locusts. Let me take you in. Let me bring you into the people. You're going to prepare the way. And the source is God. He brought up. John's like a prophet. It brings resemblance to an Old Testament prophet that the word of God would come to him. And then what we see even further is the prophecy of Isaiah. If you're following along in this text and kind of picturing the portions with me, you see the prophecy from Isaiah. What's the prophecy? That this was pictured a long time ago. Like, this isn't just the first time that this is coming up. For thousands of years, God has been doing this work for all of eternity, but in life of his people. He's been doing this for a very long time. Isaiah spoke of it. What was the picture? The picture was this. It's of a king, once again, showing God's the source. God has been doing this for a long time. God's the one who called John out. And the very prophecy is about God. So what's the picture? It's of this clearing of the road, smoothing of the path, filling in of the potholes. Why? So when the king rides in, everything's smooth. And what he's doing, John, in this portion of scripture is doing this. Let's get your heart ready. Let's get your heart ready. Let's get the soil of your heart ready. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need the Christ. You need repentance. You need faith. You're not going to earn it by your works. That's getting the soil ready. So listen, when the king comes riding in in just a a little while, right, he has smooth sailing, smooth riding right into your heart. And you're like, oh, there's no obstacles in that way. I'm a sinner. Of course I need a Savior. That's what the prophecy is picturing. It's pointing to. And then what we see after this great source, a scope, and after this great source, and I will tell you, uh, there's no rules for this. I get to do kind of whatever I want as long as I'm faithful to the text, and I change the the points from last week to make them uh, more digestible, okay? No one tells me I can't do that, so I'm just, I'm changing the points, right, from last week to make them more digestible. They're the same, but the wording, the phrasing is different to help us to remember it. The next thing that we saw is the great preparation for this gospel of grace. Remember, this is what's happening right now. Like literally God's intention, if you were to say, I just want to understand what the Bible says. I'm telling you, this is what God is saying in this text. So you want to understand this. In this particular section, the next section that we saw was this. Listen, it's what you would call the message proper, meaning this. It's the actual message of what John is actually doing here. Like, this is his actual message. This is the content of the message, okay? So this is the preparation, and the preparation within his message for the Jewish people to receive the Savior is characterized by one main thrust, one main word. Do you guys remember what that word is? It starts with an R. What's the main point of his message? Repentance. Good job. You remember. Repentance. He's saying this repentance is the key. The baptism is just a symbol of the repentance. Like you're going to see today as we baptize three people at the end of the service, the repentance is what the baptizing is symbolizing. 
so that they have turned away. I've turned away from my own life. I've died to myself, and I'm turning now to Jesus, right? I've turned. Repentance is his main emphasis. Unless you Jewish people will understand that you need to turn away from living um, by your own righteous deeds and turn to a Savior, you will not need the Savior. So this is the main thrust, repentance. And once again, I'll tell you, doing the hard work of repentance makes for easy belief. If you are having a difficult time truly dedicating your whole life to Jesus Christ, spend some time reflecting on what God's word says about your sin. I mean, you, you're not, you're made in the image of God and you reflect him in a lot of different ways. But, but, there is something that's corrupted our nature and it's sin. And because God is perfectly just, that sin has a punishment to it. And so when we come to that conclusion, we cling to Jesus. He's doing the preparatory work so that they would believe in the Messiah when he comes and cling to him. The last thing that we saw in our passage so far um, is the great product of the gospel of grace, the great product. And what we see at the end of last week is this. Now all of a sudden, and it really only happens in Luke, okay? For some reason, Luke points out here some like a, a Q&A time, okay? There's a panel here with John the Baptist on the panel. Listen, there's a question and answer time that's happening with the Jewish people and John the Baptist. Because after he does this hard work of repentance and teaching them what it looks like that they're sinners, then they start speaking up and they're saying, uh, excuse me, John, uh, John, hey, hey, what do we do now? Right? Like, we're the Jewish people. We had this law. We were following this law. Like, can you help us? Because we're not sure what to do next. Right? We were keeping this law to earn our righteousness. Now we're not sure what do we do. Do we just do nothing? And here's what John says. No, 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 no. Now the result of your repentance will be good works. Your good works will not be what earns your salvation. And so listen, this is our gospel. Church, listen, please listen close. Listen, this is our gospel. This is our gospel. Salvation by grace that produces love. That's what he's saying here. The good works now will be love. You're going to share. You got two tunics. Hey, listen, give one to the person who's got none. Right? You're a tax collector. Hey, here's what you should do. Be honest right? Hey, look, you're a soldier. Here's what you should do. Be content with your wages and don't lord it over those people next to you, right? So like, here's the message John's saying. It's reversed now. You believe in this gospel of grace and it's going to produce in you a love. That's the fruit. It's not your earning to be in right standing with God. This is our gospel. Church, right here in this picture, the new covenant is being ushered in. The, the, the gospel of grace, the gospel that we believe in right before your eyes is coming to pass. So here's what I would tell you, ready, before we move into our text for today, is listen, this must be your gospel. This must be the gospel that you believe in. The gospel that is by grace. It's, it's, it's realized through understanding that you're a sinner and repenting and turning to God's work for salvation, and it it fleshes itself out, not in pride, not in apathy, not in, not in any way that, that would make you um, uh, kind of done with the job. It, it's a gospel of grace that plays itself out in love. That's our gospel, and that's being brought right here, okay? So what we move into next as the last part of this section, and I hope you'll stay with me in this. It's verses 15 through 22, 15 through 22, and next week um, is going into the, the adult narratives. We're going to see the temptation of Jesus, um, where Satan tempts him, and so this is the last portion of this. This is where Jesus comes onto the scene, um, the gospel of grace, um, the, the last kind of like enlightenment of this now coming onto the scene. Let's read. Starting in verse 15, I hope you have your Bible, Luke chapter 3. Starting in verse 15, all the way down to 22. You ready? You ready? All right. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, 
whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, he who is mightier than I, is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. What an awesome passage. And what do we see next in this line of understanding about the gospel of grace? Okay, the last uh, few points for us um, in this section. The first thing that we see in our passage is the great focus of this gospel of grace, the great focus. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's what's happening in your heart right now. As you're reading this, God is shaping your understanding of the gospel, shaping your heart. Don't worry too much about like, what's the five steps for me to do next, right? Don't worry, so mu don't worry too much about that. Right now, we're worried about God is showing you through his word, shaping your understanding, and then the application will be easy. Okay, so here's what's happening. The great focus. The great focus is a person. Who's the person? Jesus. He's the focus of this gospel of grace. And you might say, no, duh. Like, duh, this is him, right? But I'll tell you, it's not a no, duh situation. Because listen, you can want grace and not want Jesus. It's not the same thing. You can want grace and not want Jesus. And what we have made our aim as a church is for you to treasure Jesus. For you not to just want Christianity, you not to just want a better life morally, for you not to just want to raise your kids in a good environment so you come to our church, but for you to get the main focus of this faith. It's a person, it's not products, and the person is Jesus Christ. That's the focus of this. And so let me show you where we see this. And we see three uh, kind of um, illuminating um, instances in this that point us to this great focus. The first, you can see it on the screen, is the superiority of Jesus. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. The great focus of this gospel of grace that's now coming in, that's doing away with the old law in that way of earning our right standing. The law will be a fruit now. The great focus of this gospel of grace, Jesus, the Son of God, first of all, is superior to everything. So look in your text, okay? This is the time in which you would just follow along in the Bible with me. We're going to keep your eyes there. Verse 15, okay? So as the people were in expectation, what were they in expectation of? Jesus, well, they were in expectation of the Messiah, right? Yeah, the Messiah. They didn't know who it was yet, but they were, they were in expectation of the Christ, the Messiah. Here's what I'll tell you. Messianic uh, uh, happenings were in the air. Like, people were smelling them. Like, uh, the Messiah, this, this seems like the Messiah's here, right? So it, it's in the air. The messi messianic work is kind of in the air. They're in great expectation. So, um, logically, what did they ask? They say this. They were wondering in their hearts concerning John, are you what? The Christ. Whether he might be the Christ or not. Are you the Messiah? There, there's... There's rumblings, we've seen some things. John, you're doing some incredible things. Are you the Messiah, John? Tell us if you are, right? And here's what John says. Here's what John doesn't do. John doesn't kind of like take half credit. You know like the false humility, like <laughs> I'm his cousin, okay? Um, it's not me, it's, it's him. I mean, I know God did choose me to like do really important work before he came, <laughs> but I'm not him. Like. Um, you know, he, John's not kind of taking half credit here. 
What John is doing is throwing himself off completely and putting Jesus in front. He must decrease. He's going to step out of the way, literally. And who's going to increase? Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to actually increase, right? Like, he's already the top in every category, right? What John is saying is, I'm going to move out of the way. Jesus is going to come into place. My ministry is over. He's taking over. Right? That's what's happening in this particular situation. And John is doing that in such a way that says, why? Because he's superior. In every way, this is what he says. Look at this in, John chap- in uh, uh, Luke chapter uh, 3, verse 16, where we're at in our text. John answered them all saying this, I baptize you with water, which we're going to talk about in a second, but he who is what? Mightier than I. He's mightier Listen, this is the great focus of the gospel of grace because he's mightier. He's eternal. He existed before. He started the whole thing. He created everything. He's stronger than I. He can do things that I can't do. He's the one in which salvation will be brought through. He created the universe. He created you. He has power over sin and death, and he's going to show it by going to the cross and dying on our behalf. He is mightier. He can do the salvific work. I can't. I'm just a precursor for it. Jesus is greater. He's greater, and I think this is so applicable to you, lest you say it's irrelevant. Listen, Jesus is so much more mighty than your religion. That's what he's saying here. Don't go to your religion. Don't look to great godly people as your means towards salvation. Although great, right? You don't need to go to Reverend Chad over here. Um, Although he's wonderful, okay, he is, he is. Although he's wonderful, you don't need to go to him for your mediation or your salvation. You have one who is far mightier. That's Jesus himself. He is mightier. And he goes on, listen, he goes on to say, to clarify it, that his coming, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. Like, I can't even touch his Birkenstocks, right? Like, like I'm not even touching those things. And why that brings clarification is this, listen, because what would happen in this time is that teachers of, of the law, it, it wouldn't be necessarily paid directly, okay? So the students of those teachers would serve them as kind of uh, slaves but treated better, right? Um, So you'd see like a pupil and his teacher, a disciple and his teacher, and the disciple would be kind of uh, carrying some things for him or taking care of some things for their respected teacher, right? And so there was a saying in this day that the the pupil, the the learner, would do everything um, for this teacher that was necessary that a slave would do for a master. Like that's what was said, okay? You'll do everything that like a slave would do for a master. That's how this should look, right? Except for one thing, one thing. Don't mess with his sandals or his feet, right? A slave will do that for his master, but not like a, a student for a teacher. That's a little bit too low. Literally, that's what was said. That's too low, which brings, by the way, brings clarity to when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, Right? Because what we know is that during that time, the feet were very, were seen as unclean, dirty. Okay? So what they're saying here is, what, what John is saying here comes to light. Because he's saying, listen, the, the learners, the pupils, the followers, the disciples, they will do everything for a teacher that a, that a slave would do for a master except for one thing. What's that one thing? Don't touch his feet, don't touch his sandals. And what John is saying here is quite the contrary. What John is saying is it would literally be a privilege for me to even untie his sandals. Even such a lowly task, I'm, I would be even unworthy to do. That's how great Jesus is. The superiority is made seen. Look in Luke 7, 28 through 30. With this humility, this is what Jesus says of John the Baptist. I tell you that among those born of women, none is greater than John. So like John exhibits this humility towards Jesus. He says, I'm out of here. He's in charge. He's greater. This gospel of grace has a focus, and it's not me. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says because of that humility, he's the greatest man who ever walked the earth, John the Baptist. 
right? And then what we see in John 1.20, look at John what he says. He says this, he confessed, John the Baptist confessed, and did not deny, but confessed. This is what he told the people. I am not the who. I'm not the Christ. He is. So this is what John is doing here. We see that the superiority of Jesus makes him the focus of the gospel of grace. The second thing that we see in this, and this section is the longest, is the baptism of Jesus. Listen, the baptism of Jesus is greater than the baptism of John, okay? And you got to understand this because this is extremely relevant to your life, okay? Listen, so what we see next in this passage, keep with me. After he says, the one who's coming is mightier than I, whose straps I can't even untie, I wouldn't even be worthy, although that's lowly, that would be a privilege for me. Here's what he says, he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire, right? And so he goes on. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What in the world is he talking about here? What he's saying is this, ready? This person of Jesus, the focus of the gospel, his baptism will be different than my baptism. My baptizing is symbolizing a repentance that's taken place. Listen, his baptizing will be literal baptizing. He will bring about salvation. I'm giving a symbol for salvation under the water, out of the water, right? He will actually bring about the salvation. He will bring about the dying to self, and he will bring about the new life. How do we see that? Well, it says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I baptized with water. What does that mean? It means Jesus is going to put his spirit inside of those who repent and believe in this gospel of grace. That's the story. Listen, his baptism is different from John because John is showing a symbol. Jesus is actually providing salvation. How do we know that this is talking about salvation here? Well, it says because Jesus' baptism, listen, will be with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does fire mean? Because you could say, some people say, listen, at this point, like, is that referring back to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come with fire? Well, let me show you a little trick in the text. Listen, when you're wondering what does an author mean by this particular word, one way in which it can always help you, listen, is to look at the same word within the same context or even maybe a different context within the same book by the same author, okay? So when you do that, it brings clarity to the text that you're in. So let me show you this. Go down to verse 7. 17 at the end of our passage at the end of our section here but the chaff he will burn up with what unquenchable fire all right so what he's meaning by that fire up by the holy spirit is judgment so what's going to happen is, listen, this Jesus, although John is showing a baptism that's symbolizing repentance, Jesus is actually going to bring salvation. It's going to be some who are given the holy spirit and are saved and some who on the other side don't believe and will be in eternal judgment in a place the Bible calls hell, right? So this is what he means here. He is going to bring about salvation. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, look at this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I am going to be the one who provides salvation. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my what? spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules look at this keep going is that it all right that's it all right sorry I didn't know so that's what we're seeing here that's what we're seeing here is that Jesus is going to actually perform the true salvation work um, John is just a symbol a symbolizer showing what the salvation is the next thing that we see in this portion and the last one before we move on is the judgment of Jesus, the judgment. And this one's not easy to swallow. This one's not easy to swallow, but here's why Jesus is the great focus of the gospel of grace, because he is superior, because he's gonna actually provide the actual salvation. John can't do that, only Jesus can. And Jesus is actually going to be the one who judges. So what we see in this passage now is a picture of judgment. Listen, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Remember, this is a hard message that's preaching judgment, repentance. Why? So that you say, all right, I give up. I need a savior. 
right? This should produce good. This should produce good. Look at the judgment with me. Verse 17, that's like a bad phrase to say, hey, everybody, look at the judgment, right? That's coming with me. Verse 17, here we go. Ready? His winnowing fork is in his hand. That's how we know that he's talking about salvation right above, because this is the context. To clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about that Jesus, there will be a judgment in which your sins got to be paid for. And there's only two options. Either Jesus pays for them or you do. Those are the only two options. Here's the picture he shows. Listen, anyone like grow up around a farm? I didn't, but I do some research when I prepare for this stuff, right? Okay, here's what happens. The animal, the animal tramples over the crop. The animal tramples over the crop. And when the animal tramples over the crop and the crop is laying there on the floor, you have this thing, a winnowing fork, like a metal shovel, and you will pick up the crop and you will toss it up in the air. Okay? And what happens is when the wind is blowing and as you toss it up in the air, the chaff will blow away, right? And the wheat, the heavy grain, will fall straight down. And it's separated. And then the wheat will be picked up and carried into the barn and stored away. And now you got the wheat and the chaff, the piles of chaff that has taken place will be what? They'll put in the bonfire. Right? Like, we'll burn this chaff up. It's for no use. It's for no good. That's the picture that is being shown here. That's the picture that's being shown here is that Jesus is coming. He's the superior one. He's going to provide salvation, and he's going to separate the wheat and the chaff. By being the son of God who dies on our behalf, some will believe and some won't believe. Now, listen, let me just tell you, lest you think this is irrelevant once again to you. Listen close to me, please. Judgment is, is a real thing. One day, listen, please. One day you will face God. One day you will, you will be face to face with the God of the universe and you will either be responsible for your sin or Jesus will have taken it on your behalf. And I think that that is very relevant to how we live as Christians because listen, the people sitting next to you in your world, the people sitting next to you in your life at Starbucks, that's where I hang out, so I don't know if you hang out there. At the gym, at your school, at your work, listen, they will face judgment. I want that to be a reality to you. They, they, will, they will be held accountable for their sin. The people that you see every day, and you've got the answer. You've got the answer. You've got the answer. It's Jesus Christ who paid for their sin. And so you're sitting next to them, and one day they will be ushered into eternity. Listen, and you've got the opportunity, Christian, to share the gospel with them before it's too late. You have the opportunity, and my encouragement is to you, in light of judgment, listen, take the gospel message to the people around you. Don't wait. Don't be afraid. Like, who cares? Right? Like, well, I'm not sure if they like me or they're going to judge me because of this. I know there's a real fears, but listen, listen close. And if this doesn't penetrate your heart, then like, come alive, wake up. Because listen, there are people around you who will suffer the consequence of their sin for all of eternity. And you've got the answer. There's no time to not tell the truth. Just tell it to them. Be loving about it. Be genuine about it. Care about them. But they will, if we really believe that this message is true, then we have to have an urgency about us to share the gospel with the people around you. Tell them about Jesus. It's okay if they don't like you. One day when you see Jesus face to face, ain't none of that going to matter. Right? It ain't going to matter. You're going to see him, and it's not going to matter. Well, this group of people didn't like me because I told them the truth. Listen, you want to hear, well done, faithful servant. Share the gospel because there is a true judgment and Jesus has provided a way out. And so we see in this message, listen, the great focus of the gospel of grace. The other two are real short. We got about five minutes left. Ready? But let me tell you the application of this. The application is this. I want Jesus to be the focus of your Christianity too. You can want grace and not want Jesus. He's the focus. Reorient Jesus to the proper place, to the proper place. Elevate him to the proper place of your Christianity. Want the person, not the products. 
of Jesus. The second thing that we see in our passage is the great faithfulness of John. So we see the great focus of the gospel. The second thing that we see within this gospel of grace is the great faithfulness of John. Here's what we see. John is being faithful with this gospel of grace. And my encouragement to you in this is that you would be faithful with this gospel of grace as well. Where do we see this? Ready? Verses 18 through 20. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news, right? That's why I I love this because he's talking about judgment here. He's talking about repentance. And they're calling it good news. Why? Because it's getting people ready to receive the gospel. So here's what we see. The first thing that we see of this great faithfulness of John is the diligence of John. Ready? The diligence. The great diligence of John. Where do we see his diligence? Where do we see this diligence? Look at this. It says this in verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news. You want to know what that means? It means you don't see a lot of what John did in his ministry. You just see a portion. Like, this is not exhaustive. This is not all of what John said. This is just some of it. With many other exhortations, John was all around. He got around, and he's preaching good news everywhere. You're just seeing a little bit. He was diligent to preach the good news. He was going at different places at different times to preach these good news, this good news to a lot of people. And here's what I would ask you. Are you diligent with the good news? Would you characterize your past week with the gospel as being diligent? Would you say, I was diligent to talk to this person. I was diligent to go after this person. I was diligent to pray for this person. I want to see this person come to repentance and faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. Would you describe your effort with this gospel of grace as diligent? Because I want you to be. God wants you to be diligent, more diligent than you are with anything else. Like your workout routine, your work, uh, your eating, your, your TV, right? Right now, like I got the NBA playoffs happening, okay? Like... That's the time of year where I'm like, let's see how this thing goes, okay? I love the NBA. I love watching those games. And I got to ask myself sometimes, am I more diligent with the NBA playoffs than I am with the gospel, right? So we see the diligence. The second thing that we see from John and his great faithfulness is his impartiality. His impartiality. John is impartial when it comes to sharing the gospel. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means he doesn't care who it is in front of him. He's sharing the same message. Where do we see that? Look, look with me in the text. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them, all that he locked up John in where? Prison. So here's what John did. You can see it in the other Gospels, okay? John, like, saw this Herod guy who we read about in the beginning of John chapter 3. This Herod guy took his brother's wife. He didn't care. He was getting rid of his own wife. Everyone who's watching the political Palestinian leaders do whatever they want, they don't say anything, right? But here comes old John the Baptist. And he's looking at this situation, and he's saying, listen, I don't care who you are, Herod. That ain't right. That's sin, right? And listen, let me tell you, you just don't rebuke a tyrant, okay? Unless you just didn't know that. Like, don't rebuke the tyrant. And John the Baptist is rebuking the tyrant. He doesn't care. He's rebuking the person. There's no partiality to who he's sharing this gospel of grace with. And it's dangerous for him to speak the truth, and yet he's speaking the truth. And listen, let me tell you in your own life. Listen close. Ready? There will be some people, some people, some groups of people in your life that you're afraid to share the truth with. Because maybe they hold higher position. Maybe they have more money. Maybe they're looked at by the social status as being better than everybody else. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It doesn't matter who they are. The gospel of grace needs to permeate, penetrate into everybody's life. Everybody. Don't be partial to who you share with. Share with everybody. Don't be afraid. John was not afraid. That's what we see in the last one, the courage of John. Look at the courage. What did it result in? It resulted in death for him. Because what happened was he rebuked this tyrant, and you want to know what happened a little bit later? What happened? Herodias said, hey, look, here's what I want for my birthday present. Okay? It's going to be very special. I want John the Baptist's head. Okay? I want him to die. And he did. John the Baptist was beheaded for this very thing that he, that he rebuked in this tyrant. And what I want to tell you is this. 
Be faithful with the gospel of grace regardless of consequence. Regardless of consequence. There might be a lot of consequence in your life for, being, for speaking the truth. They might not like you. They might speak uh, evil of you. You might be uh, criticized for it. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. What we see in this passage so far, listen, ready, is the great focus of the gospel of grace. That's who? Jesus. He's superior. We need to make him the focus of our gospel of grace, right? We can't lose Jesus with the grace. The second thing we see is the great faithfulness of John. He was diligent. He was impartial. He was created, uh, courageous. The application for us is that we would be faithful ministers of this gospel of grace, just like John was. Regardless of who it is, regardless of consequence, we would be diligent because there's judgment. The last thing that we see in our passage and we're done, is this, the great affirmation of Jesus. The great affirmation of Jesus. This is the last thing in our passage, okay? This is heavy, I told you. There's a lot underneath the surface. What's happening in the last part of this section is Jesus' baptism, but there's more to it. And this section, what it's doing is it's affirming this gospel of grace is true because Jesus is who he said he is. And this might be irrelevant in your mind, but listen, let me tell you, wouldn't it be awful if this gospel that you believe in was kind of like, uh, just not really sure if this is true. There's a few holes in it. Like, I just, I'm not sure, like this, I, there's a few things that God left unturned that, that there, might be some, there might be some falsity to this gospel. Like, that would be hard for you to sell out, right? This gospel is true through and through. How do we see it? Well, we see the affirmation of Jesus in this last section. Let me show you one thing um, when, it comes to, when it comes to reading your Bible, and then I'm just going to mention these because we're, we're about out of time. Ready? When you're reading a passage of Scripture, you can notice a lot by the, by the structure of the sentence, okay? The way in which something is said. I'm reading from the ESV, but here's what 21 says. Ready? Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, then the heavens opened up, and then the, the Spirit came down, and then the Father said something from heaven. And what that tells us is in this instant, the emphasis is not on the baptism. It just says when the baptism happened, here's what happened, right? It's not like the emphasis is on the baptism. And so we see the structure of that sentence. And what we understand is there's something greater than just him being baptized, which is part of it. But there's something very important that's happening within the section. Jesus is being affirmed in, the, in our eyes that he is who he is. So this is what's happening, okay? Jesus is being affirmed. We can see the truth. So the first thing that we see in this, listen, is the baptism of Jesus, right? We just talked about it, but that actually does happen. Jesus Jesus is baptized. Why? Does he need cleansing from his sin? Does he need to symbolize that? No. Why is he baptized, right? To fulfill all righteousness. Look at, um, look at Isaiah 53, 12. That Jesus became one of us and he was numbered with the what? Transgressors. He really became a man. He really fulfilled submission to his father as our example. Matthew 3, 15 says this. This is what he told to John. Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all what? Righteousness. Then Jesus consented to be baptized. So we see the baptism of Jesus. The second thing that we see is the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes down in bodily form. Luke is the only one who, who uses that word bodily, right, to show us that the very purpose of the Holy Spirit coming down in a dove form was for us to see it so that we could see the affirmation of Jesus truly being the Son of God. And the third thing that we see in this is the Father's voice to Jesus. And here's what he essentially says. On you, my son, rests my favor. You're the one. I'm delighted in you. And you want to know what? These words are a combination from Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. And they're a picture of a king. It's affirming. This is it. This is him. He's the king, and that culminates in Isaiah 53. This king is going to suffer. So what we see in this last section is the great affirmation of Jesus Christ. This is something you can truly believe in because this gospel of grace is true. So church, as we close this, I know that's 
fire hose. Let me tell you, here's our application. Focus on Jesus. He's the focus of the gospel of grace. Be faithful with the gospel of grace. Share it diligently with the people in front of you regardless of who's in front of you. And lastly, aren't you glad that God affirmed his son before our eyes? So you can have confidence in what you believe. This is true. The gospel of grace is true. Now it's here. Moving forward, we're going to watch Jesus unleash it into the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, <clears throat> and I know, God, that we are looking at stuff that is way beyond us. We are looking at things that, that go well beyond our thoughts in life that are, that are maybe less or, or trivial. God, help us to understand in this message how wonderful it is that you, Jesus, are the focus, that we would put you first. You're superior. God, I pray that we would pursue the diligence and faithfulness like John had of this gospel of grace to bring it to the ends of the earth, regardless of who's in front of us. And God, I pray with all of our hearts that we would be a people because you spend so much time affirming who Jesus is before our eyes that we would be sure, that we would know what we believe, and that we would be convinced that Jesus truly is the Son of God. We love you so much. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.